1: That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time.
0: And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price.
1: Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
2: Welcome everyone to a Baseball America podcast. Along with J.J. Cooper, I'm John Manuel. It's a somber day at the Baseball America offices because we realize that our official National Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum almanac that we compli- compiled along with the National Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum last year does not need an update for the 2013 edition of the book. Last year's book, just as viable as this year's copy of the book, go ahead and buy one in, at BaseballAmerica.com slash store or by calling 800-845-2726, JJ, because nobody got in this you're year. You're
1: selling short shrift on the, uh, the. is there no Veterans Committee meeting this year?
2: Oh, wait, there was. There are three Possumous yeah, veterans. Say. You're right. Well, that that'll that that just changed the book, and I guess we have to change some photos. I we don't said, have that's a,
1: probably not going to be a big selling uh, new edition. Ooh, gotta get no. some. Uh,
2: but we, uh, it, but maybe we'll uh, put something in the front of the book on this year's vote, um, which, of course, thanks to uh, Sean Foreman, uh, the guys at BaseballReference.com. dot com. I mean, I love just having that right at the top of my BaseballReference.com dot com page today because that's what matters in baseball today, and. Uh, just amazing to me, JJ. I was prepared for it, but I'm still so surprised by the voting that not even any, and no one even got 70% of the vote. Um, that that blew me away. I guess I was prepared for the fact that no one was going to get in, but I guest lectured all morning over at Elon University, and then we had lunch with the professor that we guest lectured with, uh, Nathan Rody and I. It's, it's, his, it's his alma mater, so I was out of the loop all morning, and then drove back and heard about it, but I didn't, I hadn't read anything. Until the last hour or so, and I'm, I'm still kind of surprised by the way that it went down. And I'm, well, I, I think I, I guess the biggest surprise to me is that Kenny Lofton doesn't even stay on the ballot. That, that might be the worst part of all of it for me. Is that not even worse than somebody not getting in? Is that guys like Kenny Lofton or, before that, a Lou Whitaker who don't even stay on the ballot for more than a year is disappointing.
1: It, what stands out to me is is that I, I do wonder if long term this is going to be a significant year because this is what leads to that, that when we look back go and that's when voting changed. Like, I yeah. think that there is a chance that this is going to mean that if we're talking five years from now, the hall of fame voting will be an entirely different animal.
2: That's very possible. Um You know, I,
1: I can't imagine the hall of fame is very happy right now to, I mean, hall of fame weekend, hall of fame induction
2: build that week around uh, week. Paul Hagen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's nothing to build around <laughs> this year. Happened. And,
1: If that happens because there's just no one qualified that year to make the Hall of Fame, well, that's one thing. No one can argue that right now.
2: Nobody can make that argument uh, right now, uh, that's for sure. I mean, I guess the other surprise to me is I I, I really did think that at the very least that Craig Biggio would get in, even though Barry Larkin didn't get in first ballot, even though Roberto Alomar didn't get in first ballot, and those are very similar players to Craig Biggio. Uh, Do you think the Bill James calling him like arguably the best player of the 90s or saying like in 1999 he was the best player the the fact that sabermetric analysis was higher on Craig Biggio than non-sabermetric analysis was you think that that counted that worked against him
1: if it does that's another example of when then the vote needs to change because if you're a voter who goes i'm not going to vote for that guy because some other people like him more than i you do you really
2: think that didn't happen
1: Oh I'm not saying it didn't, it but if it did happens. if it did, that's a that's a problem. I mean and I do think it probably, you know, in some small cases happens, but that's just sad because it's one thing if you say somehow I look at Craig Biggio and say that guy's not a Hall of Famer but I do not know like I said, let's right now let's let's analyze Craig Biggio on the non let's take the the if you're the absolutionist who says, I'm not gonna vote for anyone who played in the nineties because steroids were in the game. If you're not – let's take that out of it. Just say on the – on the whether you're a sabermetric fan, you know, and you believe that, you know, on-base percentage and things like that are, you know, in war, do have value. Or let's say that you are – if it was past batting average, it's not for me. If that's the case, Craig Biggio makes it into your Hall of Fame. Yeah, I just right? don't
2: see how he doesn't make it into your Hall of Fame, period.
1: Gold glove second baseman, 3,000 hits. I mean, I what? guess he
2: still will. And I, I guess I'm just more of the opinion of you're either a Hall of Famer or you're not. Well, you know? right
1: now, I, I'll say this. Next year, that's not true because in the current rules, you can only vote for 10. So I can understand next year it being there something – There are more than
2: 10 eligible guys, right. good guys to vote for right. this year. Th- next year it gets problem- worse, right. but it so was a problem this year. I can understand
1: right now you could say this guy's not a first ballot guy for me because I can only vote for 10. But when you're voting for one, as we saw, like, you know, if you're – I'll put it this way. If you're if you're voting for one guy and you're one, you voted for Jack Morris and no one else this year – I mean, beyond the idea that I'm just trying to stick my thumb in other people's eyes,
2: I don't think the I, thumb is the digit they're really thinking yeah, about. Yeah, okay,
1: yeah. I'm trying to be. All right, we we have a clean tag on our uh, on our podcast. Well, so I didn't like, curse. Yeah, I know, but I'm saying like, <laughs> but uh, short of that, I I don't see. I I just yeah. I'm, I'm baffled.
2: The Baseball Writers Association of America obviously is the gatekeepers of the Hall of Fame, and that is they're they're as good a group as any to be the gatekeepers of the Hall of Fame. I do think it's kind of silly that people like Bob Costas or Vince Scully or, or some of these long-time broadcasters or Bill James or, who
1: wrote a book about the Hall of Fame and has spent years. like Yeah, but he promi- should actually just be in the Hall of Fame. Right. As but, you know. But I, I prominent baseball historians who basically, you know, who spend their lives studying baseball, I think should be part of the the big Pete
2: Palmer those kind of right.
1: guys. Pete Palmer should be, yeah.
2: Sure, I'll buy that. Um but to, you know, I get uh, so there's good at gatekeepers, any. it probably would make more sense the way that I, I, I guess I'll say a couple things here. First off, um, as we may have talked about in past podcasts, baseball America members are not in the Baseball Writers Association. Uh, we've tried to be in the Baseball Writers Association one time. It was not well received. Uh, in terms of, I got no communication from the BBWAA about. The application process, the only reason I interviewed with them, and I was interviewing on behalf of other BA staffers and myself. Um, the only reason we even got there was that Dave Cameron, a Fangraphs saw me in the hotel lobby and told me they were doing the interviews. I got no communication from the BBWAA. So my experience with them wasn't really positive. And then since then, uh, three years, four years since then, I've basically our attitude at Baseball America has been, you know, I'm not sure we really want to be in the BBWAA. The only person in the office or in the company who really should be in, in my mind, for sure, slam dunk is Jim Callis by their own rules because Jim works in a major league city. He's in Chicago. I guess I could make the argument for Aaron Fit now. But one of the reasons they told us was we're well, all in North Carolina and you guys don't have a hard time getting credentials when you do go to games. Which is which, true. Which is true, <laughs> yeah. but, I mean, but most a lot of the people who have gotten credentialed don't need – don't go to games either. So I thought it was kind of silly. And then this off season, as I've been writing these columns about more major league stuff with the waiver wire wi- waiver wire rules and Mickey Story and getting kicked off the 40-man, I thought to myself, you know, I've written a lot of these articles now. I bet you I could get in. I talked to Lavelle Neal uh, of the Star Tribune in Minneapolis, who's on the BBWA board. After this, JJ, I'm just like, why would I want to be in this group when you're looking at these votes who are made public – and so many of the writers that I know and respect voted for like nine, eight, eight, nine, ten guys, like the Tracy Ringlesbees and Pete Abrahams and Jerry Krasnicks. And even if they didn't vote for as many, I remember like Jim Capel voted for ten. So many of these guys who I know and respect and read. It, and then you see Murray Chass and Ken Gurnick. I don't know them personally, but... I I have to do nothing but lose respect for you if the only person you voted for on this ballot is Jeff Morris. and check with Jack Morris. How you can vote for Jack Morris and that's the only guy you vote for? I read Murray's uh, attempt to elaborate on it and explain it, and it makes no sense. It was nonsensical. And uh, it really does – to me, it's very hard to pick an organization that's uh, done worse for itself in the information age than the Baseball Writers Association of America because they've – the more people learn about those that membership, which still their Spink Award, still they gave it to Bill Conlin, they haven't taken that back. So Bill Conlin, who molested members of his own family, still gets their award, and they haven't rescinded it, and they can't let in these guys who were who they are suspicious of into the Hall of Fame. I, I know it's a little different, no, but no, it's no, kind no, of I'm a not, joke. No, I'm saying what I'm saying is it's okay, pretty much I, a joke. I'm
1: looking at a, there's a couple of rationales that you can have to me logical, defensible rationales. Personally, to me, steroids were a big part of the game in the 90s and 2000s. Yes, absolutely. I'm voting Roger Clemens in. I'm voting Barry Bonds in. I'm, yep. you know, I'm, I'm evaluating Rafael Palmeiro on that. That's a little factor in it, but I'm evaluating him on is he good enough to make the Hall of Fame in general. I'm doing it that way. But I understand.
2: I, if you said I do to think Palmeiro is a little bit different. But th- because he actually did test positive in and the other players. Players who tested I, – I actually heard Bob Costas talking about it today on MLB Network, and he said if you passed some kind of rule, like they did with Pete, Ro- Pete Rose, and say, well, if you're gambling on baseball and if you're suspended for gambling, you can't be in the Hall of Fame. If they had to pass a rule that says if you're suspended for steroids and you can't get in, but that's but, not a rule right now. So I
1: was to say, but to me, if you said – if you are a voter and you say that my rationale is, is that if you test positive, or I even say if you say that you have a voter that you say, or the vast preponderance of evidence. If you say, I know Barry Bonds didn't test positive. He
2: did, he was but convicted he was, in a court of law of obstructing right. justice into an investigation. Of Wh- in which or not there he, was much testimony,
1: right. in which his answer was, I didn't know I was taking right. performance enhancing drugs, but clearly I was. Right. If, that is, if that is your rationale... Again, I may disagree with it. That, to me, is a logical rationale. You right. are to I me, agree. To me, I will say this. It's illogical from one standpoint. Gaylord Perry is not in the Hall of Fame without cheating. Completely agree. And it was on the books. Cheating is cheating. It was on the books. If you were found, when when Joe Necro threw, you know, oh, look, what did I find in my pocket? Suspended. Completely now, agree. Now, you can say, well, that's within the bounds of the game. That's It's understood that there's some cheating that goes on. No. That's cheating. I completely agree. This was cheating. But if you want to, again, if you want to say that's your rationale, if you're saying if Gaylor Perry is on the ballot, I'm not going to vote for him.
2: So even if you leave Bonds and Clemens out, you're saying?
1: But if you do that, to me, to take that next step and say, well, this guy put up good numbers and he was pretty big and he was during this era, that to me you've gone so far beyond having a rationale. Or if you say – I'm sorry, you played in the 90s and 2000s, so I right. can't vote for you because people were taking steroids at that time. How do you know, like, again, I, we were talking about this before we started the podcast. Bo Jackson, thankfully for his sake. And our sake. And our sake, arrived in the early 80s. Bo Jackson. Mid-80s. Was, no, but Bo Jackson looked like Bo Jackson in
2: 1982. Yeah, but not, the, the country wasn't following him at
1: all no but I'm until saying, but, he won the Heisman. But what I'm saying is, is if you saw him in 1982, though. And you saw Bo Jackson in 1985. Not a whole lot of difference. I mean, sure. he was. So what I'm saying is, is that you, you. You, you track far that far enough back that you say that he was not tarred as a you know a steroid user. If Bo Jackson arrives in 1998, right? I don't care if he no passed every him. test ever given. Yeah, it would just be. There's no way that guy's not a steroid user. So what I'm saying is is that you can tar – Mike Piazza is tarred as a steroid user by many people who voted in this without there ever being any evidence. Again, I'm not saying that it's even conclusively true that he didn't use. Correct. But there is no preponderance of evidence that he did. And I'm sorry. Again, if you're arguing Mike Piazza is not a Hall of Famer based on what he did on the field.
2: That's an impossible argument. I mean, that's an impossible argument. Uh, I don't see how I- – that's the stuff that, that's, that's, those are the guys who really stunned me the most. And uh, I guess I'm just the most disappointed in the voters who act, who take that role of gatekeeper and, uh, I think, just, uh, apply it without a lot of logic. So it just, it's just disappointing as a baseball fan. I'm talking as a baseball fan, not as a baseball writer in this regard that, I'm just really disappointed that if you don't want to vote for Bonds or Clemens, and they both got almost the exact same 362 and 37.6%. Pretty
1: much they got the, I will vote for you, whether you if you use yeah. steroids. vote. so
2: there's 36% of the electorate basically that will do that, and maybe 1% that made a slight uh, difference for Clemens and for Bonds. I just don't see, uh, if you're not voting for them, how you don't vote for some of these other guys. And, and Jack Morris getting 67% of the vote. I, I, it's just one my, that I can't, argument, I can't explain.
1: My argument for that is, as I said this to Will earlier today when you were at Elon, I do feel like, and I don't want to denigrate because I'm sure there are some people who can try to make a pretty strong case for him, but I really feel like the, the best case for that is is that if you're a voter who was in Minnesota at the Metrodome for Game 7 in 1991, yes, I vote for him. And if you weren't, you don't. I mean, I don't want to go too far, but that almost is what it feels like. It's like his case, he was a very good pitcher.
2: It's really basically like you're giving him credit for being the last of the old-school complete game guys. That's pretty much his case. He doesn't really have much of a case otherwise. I mean, if you want to give credit for that game seven in 1991, how about the bloody sock game? And How do you vote for him and not for Schilling? Schilling's career was clearly better. Better. And in this era, Schilling was the complete game guy, the workhorse, the 220-inning-a-year guy. And he was demonstrably better. How many and, was day more important,
1: and was more important to World Series champions than Morris. He, took, he was, he was the ace
2: for, of three World Series teams and two champions. And one, I mean, I'm sorry, it is different. The Red Sox 04 is different because mm-hmm. of the bloody sock and because of 86 years and all that stuff. It's more significant than any of the Tigers did. I mean, I'm sorry. It just but, is.
1: But more than anything, Curt Schilling demonstrably was a better pitcher. Yeah than Jack Morris. Demonstrably. I mean that that clearly the, that's not something that I don't think it's, that there's an argument to be made. It's cool
2: for Kurt Schilling that he got thirty eight percent. If you're gonna get, if you're not gonna make it in, go ahead and get thirty eight percent if you're gonna be a numerologist. But
1: but it it is not like and if you want to say, well, you know, he Jack Morris is a winner then if you're saying that in this day and you base your entire around if you're basing it all around that, then uh, again, at this point, you either—I I do believe you're—you're you're saying I just want to stick to these things because I, I do not want to—I do not want to engage in a discussion. I, and I know, look, on both sides, Twitter has been—I love Twitter. Twitter last couple of you know days with this is like I was very happy to be chatting about the Reds at Baseball America during yeah. the announcement because I missed. Like, I'm sorry, I will never get back to those days. I will not scroll back to oh, what did I miss on Twitter between yeah, exactly. two and three o'clock? You know. And by the way, I, that brings up. On Twitter, if you follow us on Twitter, I'm JJCoop36. Apparently, I sometimes come across as uh, uh, that like I'm <laughs> you angry can be a little that. testy, and I'm not testy. I actually am talking with the voice I have right now. Usually, I'm actually pretty excited to be doing it. JJ's but,
2: happy-go-funky. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm
1: generally a happy-go-lucky guy, and so I apologize if it comes across ever that I'm testy. I'm probably not testy. I'm probably
2: sending that with a smile. Well, how, who would you have voted for this year, JJ? Let's wrap this up with what would the JJ Cooper ballot have been. I can go first if you want me to. Go first because, yeah, of i got
1: to bring up my little list of the eligible. So I, I, only sure not, I, I
2: guess I'm adding it up. I only would have had seven or eight guys. Uh, I would have had Biggio. I would have had Bagwell, Piazza, Tim Raines. That's four for me. Schilling, Clemens, Bonds, uh, and the only other – really that, I think that's it for me. I think I would have voted for seven, and I'd be very much on the borderline with uh, Edgar Martinez, Larry Walker, Fred McGriff, Sammy Sosa, very much on the borderline with all those guys, but I think th- those were seven definites I would have felt absolutely no problem voting for those other for those for those other seven guys. And even Reigns is kind of borderline for me. I don't think it's so slam dunk. I, I don't even know if it's one hundred percent slam dunk that Tim Reigns' career is that much better than Kenny Lofton's, for example. I mean, I think it's I think it is. I think it's better, but I don't think it's that much better. I, I don't think it's fifty two percent of the vote to three. I'll, I'll give you that
1: way. no, cause, cause especially because.
2: I mean, I think that Tim Raines' peak was a little better, but Tim Raines also didn't play center field. I don't know how much of the defense difference, but I know from a scouting standpoint, finding a center fielder is a lot harder to do than finding a left fielder. And Tim Raines was always a left fielder. I mean, like, how often did he play the majority of his games in center field? Ever? Did he ever do that? I mean, 1984, it looks like he did that. And that's about it. I mean, I just don't. And some
1: of that was because they had other really, you know, it's like, but some of it, but it, but some of it was not. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, Ricky like, Henderson, he
2: and you know, he's pales in comparison to Ricky Henderson in a way. Cause he didn't have Ricky Henderson's power, but I mean, I, I still don't think that he, I, I don't think that, I don't count that against him. But I'm just comparing him to Kitty Lofton. I do count it against him because they were similar players. Reigns had more power and was a better offensive player, but how much of that 16 points of OPS plus? And the more power that Tim Raines had, how much of that uh, is mitigated by the fact that Kenny Lofton played center field? I don't know. That's a tough question. And, you know, his his on base percentage is 13 points better than Kenny Lofton's over the course of his career. Kenny Lofton played a little bit more offensive era, but I don't think there's that big of a difference between those two players. So um, I, I just don't I, I don't I don't know that I would vote in Kenny Lofton the f- first time, but he would have been in the discussion for me. He's a lot closer to Tim Raines, I think. Than, uh, than well, most I, people. I do think, obviously the voter, yeah, I dude. do
1: think part of what makes Kenny Lofton, Kenny Lofton is a victim of the steroid era here as far as not being on the ballot because what happened is, is that, again, you can only vote for 10 because we have the backlog of the Sammy Sosa's and Mark McGuire, you know, and guys like that who have not gotten in, who normally would have cleared off the ballot. Right. If you are a guy who's going to vote for, who's willing to vote for those guys, that's part of the problem.
2: It is. I mean, Kenny Lofton actually led the majors in steals more often than Tim Raines did. I mean, I, I like, I like Kenny Lofton. Uh, I think he was a little underrated player. I think the fact that he was a vagabond at the end of his career hurt him. And, uh, and you know, to, to, but to me, he's just not that different from Tim Raines. Tim Raines is better, but not that much better. Not so much better that Kenny Lofton gets left off the ballot. All right, so I had seven guys on my ballot. Okay, uh, my theoretical ballot, JJ. Let's who's see. on your theoretical ballot? b j
1: o Bagwell uh Piazza, I would have reigns Schilling, Clemens, Bonds, McGuire, Sosa. That's
2: see McGuire and Sosa to me. I don't think would have been Hall of Fame caliber players if not for their PED use. See, and and and, 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 and I'm and, saying
1: I'm going on the approach of. I'm going to take you on the numbers that you produced. even
2: on what they produced, Mark McGuire is borderline. His career, to me, is so much like Dave Kingman's, only he didn't play in the 60s and 70s. He played in the 90s. No, I mean, 90s, I can the 90s, see the argument, but, but, but to me... And Sammy Sosa, it's a, it's a very short peak. It's a ridiculous peak. And he didn't bring a whole lot else to the table. I just traded for him in our retro league. I mean, I'm looking forward to 2002 Sammy Sosa. but And that's obviously past his peak, Sammy Sosa. But, um... I still think I wouldn't have voted for him or Maguire. No, those are certainly defensible. Right. To so get
1: those, I hit six hundred some home runs. Right. Again, defensive. to me, my argument is is that if I'm saying, you know, because to me, like if you're, I follow. So your argument, again, to me, these are defensible. Your voting paradigm is if you felt like a guy would not have made it in with if the guy would have made it in without the steroids, like Barry Bonds, used performance enhancing drugs, but clearly pre skinny Barry. Skinny yeah, Berry would Skinny have been a Hall, a Hall of Famer. Giant, Giant head, a Hall of Famer. Giant Head Berry is the greatest player of all time. Right. But
2: That's right. And Skinny, Mark McGuire, was still towering and still hit home runs, but he wasn't a Hall of Famer. And then he became Monster Mac. And that was just a little bit different to me. Uh, you know, and you talk about short peak. <laughs> that I had, like, Two peaks, and they're both very short. There's mm. massive valleys in between.
1: When you say that, but Maguire, when you say two short peaks, he was a 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12-time All-Star. Now, I know oh, that... Yeah, I'm uh, not going to use all but like but 87... He was a 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10-time MVP top 10 guy. So I guess
2: 87 to 92 is a one-peak. And then, and 90 then 96 to, to 1999 is another peak. Right. I mean, 2000, he played 89 games. Right. am not no call I'm saying. That part of his peak. No, no. But,
1: but every so one of those peaks. years, those two peaks, though, are 10 years. Not, I guess so. It's not like he went – we're not talking about Roger Maris was, hitting 61 and then, two, you know, you're going, okay, that was really nice. I mean,
2: Roger Maris was a great player in other ways than 61 home runs. He hit 39 the year before and could have been MVP in 1960. He right. was a very good player. So I'm saying,
1: but his peak, though, was a –
2: Right, he's not in the Hall of Fame.
1: <laughs> I understand, but what I'm saying is, is that it's not to me. There is a difference in that – Roger Maris's peak was basically about three to four years. I
2: guess I'm, if I'm dissecting Maguire, we're talking about his peak is '87, which is a home run crazy year. You're talking about an expansion era in '92, uh, '93, and then also, uh, '93, but then also the expansion and steroid era in '98, '99. I guess I'm just thinking to me, most of his value is in home runs and walks. Well, mm-hmm. not in the most of, no, that, all, his all his value. All his value home runs and walks. I don't think walks. that second peak happens without the PED. So, for me, he's just too borderline. And then Sammy Sosa is a worse case than McGuire. I would vote for McGuire before I'd vote for Sosa, even though tools-wise, Sosa was, should have been the more well-rounded player and the player who contributed more in more ways than just home runs and RBIs, but doesn't seem like that's actually the kind of player he wasn't. I have no problem not voting for Palmero. I mean,
1: I I don't with Palmero in there's in that the era he was in. I don't think he was the, the argument for him was is that my argument for McGuire is if you said during those times. And again, if you want to say because it was because of stairways, that's fine. But if you said who was the best first baseman in the game, there was a time where the answer was Mark McGuire and you wouldn't think a second to say it. I don't think that was true of Rafael Palmero
2: That's true. It was I a great
1: th- era for first baseman, but. You know, to me, if you say with Rafael Palmero, you'd say oh, he's the fourth or fifth best.
2: So next year this just gets worse probably with oh, it gets insanely Greg, Greg worse. Maddox, Tom Glavin, and Frank Thomas coming on the ballot. Plus all these guys are still on the ballot with the exception of Kenny Lofton. Uh, all these, I think, fairly deserving And, and that's, I think
1: that's players. part of what's going to lead to changes. Like there's been a lot of proposals out there. I mean, I do want to talk about this a little bit. Like
2: Aaron Seely getting a vote today. Hoochie Mama. But <laughs> wow. Just <Jesserillo> didn't. <sighs>
1: Oh, that was a big Jeff Strillofan, not for a <laughs> Hall of Fame vote, but uh, you know it's nice to see him on the ballot.
2: Or Ryan Klesko, no Ryan Klesko votes. Joe Table, no Joe Table votes. But, but, and by the way, I, I wish I could vote for Palmer, He had 64 home runs for my 2001 retro team.
1: He's in, that, he's in your Retro League Hall of Fame.
2: Oh, well, I have him and Sosa now back-to-back. Back. I'm just building a steroid monster team. Um, but
1: I'll, I'll ask you. So if you said, okay, we're, you can design a new system to determine who gets in the Hall of Fame, well, how would you change it?
2: Well, I think to me, uh, if, you're gonna, if the baseball writers are going to have the vote and they're not going to give it up anytime soon, they have to limit it to people who are actually covering the sport or make some kind of means test, I think, where they make sure guys are paying attention. I also think that the, the blank ballot where you send it in and you don't vote for anybody, I, 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 don't, I don't approve of that as a as – a, if you're voting for the Hall of Fame, vote for somebody. I don't think that should be or, an option. Or
1: don't turn in a ballot. That's fine.
2: Don't turn in a ballot, but don't vote for nobody and have it count as a zero and kill these guys' chances. I I hate that as a protest uh, vote. I hate the whole idea of the protest vote. I would be interested
1: vote. to see if that kept BGO out of the Hall of Fame.
2: Yeah, I think it probably did. And then I would also uh, find, uh, like you said, have a committee of the active people who want to be involved in this to reach out to non-writers to give them votes. Like we talked about the historians and those kind of things. There's a... They're rational steps I think you can take. But, again, to me, the reputation of the BBWAA is what has taken the hit over all these. Less so than the Hall of Fame. Because the Hall of Fame is so cool to but, go to. What has the BBWAA done that has endeared it to readers or customers over the last 10 years other than make bad picks and done things like this? And, and, and yeah, what have they done to embellish their and, and reputation? The, I'm, I'd the thing, like to know.
1: And, and I was going to say, and some of that is – unfortunate, I think, because as we said, I mean, I think we should make clear, there are a lot of people that we know in the BBW. there are a lot of people that we very strongly respect.
2: Like I said, the, and most of them voted with cool ballots, with smart ballots, and explained their votes with, oh, oh i really agonized over this, and it's really not easy. All of them tell me, like...
1: Like, again, it, and I can respect... I, again, I can, and this respect, was not easy. And I can respect people who have different rationales than mine on this. Certainly, that certainly that can. I can understand. Some of the ballots, I'll be honest, I see them, and I'm like, okay, but I don't understand what your rationale was. That's the best part of my problem is, is that, I you see some rationales, and it's like, okay, that person says they're not voting for anyone who they thought used steroids. I don't agree with that rationale, but at least there's some consistency to that. I really have a problem if you have the
2: like. I don't I'm, know Bill Madden, but Bill Madden, and I don't, and I usually don't agree with Bill Madden with what he writes. But he's covered the game for a long time in New York. That's not an easy job, not an easy thing to do. And he voted for BGO, McGriff, Morris, Schilling. There's some consistency there. He didn't vote for anybody with any steroids taint at all. I do think if you're going to be hard-line on the steroid stuff, you vote for BGO and Schilling because, because, because they're from that era. And they, d- d- they just, w- just ignoring everybody else in the bout their cases were strong cases.
1: And there's no... Uh, there's no evidence of any sort. There's not even really right. strong suspicion.
2: I think if you're uh, – this seems like an anti-steroid ballot. He voted for McGriff. You know, I think McGriff was harmed by being a home run hitter in that era when everybody was hitting crazy home runs. He had 493 home runs. He was a really, really good player. There were times when you thought best first baseman in the game, and Fred McGriff came to mind, more so than Rafael Palmero. Yeah. So I could vote for McGriff. I could, bu- I could buy the McGriff vote. I don't buy the Morris vote. I think that's just kind of like a, I really do think that's a reactionary. Like, wait a minute, he was better than Bert Blyleven. If he's if we're voting in Blyleven, we're voting in Morris. I think that's a reactionary vote. But I, if you're, I, and, I, I, and I, to I'm not going to gonna damn him right, for it. And
1: to me, I'm sorry, but one of the things is is that this is I thought where Bill James book many years ago now, the Politics of Glory, which I think was renamed when they reissued it.
2: Whatever happened to the Hall of Fame? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I great like book. Politics of Glory better than the title. Me too.
1: But, it's a great book. But. One of the things he pointed out is, is, please, no one ever make the argument. So-and-so's in, so-so-and-so gets right. to get in. Because if you do That's that, right. all of a sudden you're turning around, and you're not just – it's not that Kenny Lofton's not making on the about. It. You're going, well, Kenny Lofton's easily in, and we're turning around and going, you know, uh, Shane Victorino, he had a good right. career, and we got to get him in. Jo-
2: Joe Posnanski also had another uh, solution that he posited, J.J., an inner circle Hall of Fame, and then a different – That was ho- Bill James' idea, then, I think, originally. Was it, po- was it positive? Well, I, I can start getting behind that. But I don't I don't know that with as big and unwieldy as its membership is, I don't see the BBWA changing unless but, there's really strong leadership here there. Here's the so good though, luck but to no, but here's, Susan Slusser and Lavelle Neal, and those guys are in charge. No, but here's I don't thing. envy them.
1: It's not the B- Baseball Writers Association of America's Hall of Fame.
2: Right. So, but but so the Hall of Fame rules, is not going to change either, I don't think.
1: Well, I was going to say, but it, the Hall of Fame, though, if they want to, they could they can change it tomorrow
2: they could i don't see them taking away – because who do you give it to
1: no, but you also don't, but I'm saying you don't have to take it away. You can go to the b b w a a and say, we need to change some things
2: that would take leadership as well that don't know that's what the hall i don't know if that's how the Hall of Fame rolls is uh, making big changes, but I would imagine it would take several years of this, several years but of summers in Cooper Town where nobody comes
1: else, like. I know that there is uh, something to be said for vagueness, like to have a character clause but don't really go further in explaining what it was. But really more than anything else, it seems like at this point there needs to be almost like some direction given on here's how you should treat the, uh, the PED era.
2: Yeah, they need some direction.
1: And the other thing is is beyond everything else right now also is, is that the limit of 10 votes, that people vote for 10 seems to be – that's going to cause a, a bigger and bigger problem.
2: It is gonna to be tough. Man, it's really it's amazing because just to look at some w- of these votes. It
1: works it worked fine when it wasn't something that there were 'cause right now the problem is is that if you are a person who says, I'll vote for steroid you know, people who were suspected of steroid use, then there are guys who may be higher on your ballots that means some other guys are not gonna get on. Well so what you can yeah. end up happening is, is the problem, as I see, that could happen going forward is is that you create this massive logjam where you right. have two disparate groups. You have the group who says, I'm going to vote for the best players regardless of right. suspicions of PED. And you have another group say, I'm not going to vote for anyone with suspicion of PED. And so what happens is is that, okay, Greg Maddox gets in, but you left, you're left with Craig Biggio's that there's guys who say, I'll vote for anyone with right. suspicions, and that cred, BGO, is up 11th on their ballot. Right. And then you have the group who say, I'm not voting for any one of these other guys, and so BGO's two on their ballot, but he still ends up getting like 65% that way. And
2: Maybe they have to wait their votes. Huh? Who knows how they're going to do it, but that, something it does feel like something has to change, and nobody getting in could be the, and the thing that motivates and, change. And, and The thing is, we did have writers like Jason Stark and Tim Kirkjohn and – Everybody basically, every everybody who looked at this and looked at the Hall of Fame, looked toward it and said, "Like, boy, this is this is coming down the road." You know, and Jason Weiber was the first guy I remember writing, "This is coming, guys." And, and let's just say, And like, he was absolutely right. Hall of Fame, not
1: like the Hall of Fame hasn't had problems with voting before. I mean, again, Politics of Glory did a great job of spelling out how, like, there was a stretch there where the Veterans Committee was like, "If you played on the nineteen thirty Cardinals,
2: right, you are in." Look.
1: Every, they hit 300. Yes, well, yes, the league batting then, average that year was 300. And the BBWA
2: yeah. certainly had that. Like, hey, if you played the big red machine, you're in. Borderline guy, big red machine, come on in, Tony Perez. You know, I mean, right?
1: There, it's not like that. This is the first time that there's been voting controversy or things like that. I mean, again, we have a character clause. Ty Cobb, no problem with that.
2: Yeah, and the character clause. I'm not saying he should be in, but if the character clause keeps people out, like on the steroid thing, how does it not? Way in the favor of a guy like Dale Murphy, right? Now, I, it, I actually think that argument has some merit. I wouldn't vote for Murphy, but I don't begrudge anybody who did vote for him,
1: right? But that is it's the but really what it comes down to right now is is that something has to. This is not. So I basically agree with
2: to, Michael Weiner. I basically agree with Michael Weiner's statement from the players' the, Association. the best way
1: I can put it is is that,
2: and we wish Michael Weiner the best in his uh, in his comeback. I mean, his recovery. His rec- I shouldn't say comeback. but in his recuperating from. Uh, cancer that he's battling right now. I mean, a story very well told by Jerry Krasik this offseason.
1: But the best way I can put it is, is that what is great about the Baseball Hall of Fame is that people care about the Baseball Hall of Fame more than any of the other major U.S. Sports Hall of Fames. I mean, it's not even
2: close. It's not even close.
1: And that's great. But what we're having now is not great.
2: It's not great. JJ, we're going to shift gears to the National League Central. How much or how little do you think, on a scale, a 2080 scale, how much of my doppelganger is Bob Nutting, the Pirates owner? I hear if we've gone over this.
1: At least a 65 or 70.
2: I think so, too. (laughs) That's bad for Bob Nutting. I'm sorry to hear. I'm sorry for you, Mr. Nutting. But uh, But, jam packed issue, our National League Central issue. uh, Why don't we just start off with the top tens? JJ, you wrote a blog post about Brett Jackson. He's the Cubs' number five prospect. He is the fir- highest ranked prospect in the Cubs system who did not join the organization in 2012. And in fact, looks well, so like he's the only one who's been around a couple of years. Well, no. I stand corrected. Iris Mendy Alcantara, Alcantara was signed in, tw- in 2008. Alcantara's but,
1: first year, full year in, in full season ball this year. But right. Yeah, he has been around.
2: But Brett Jackson, a historically with tastic Major League <laughs> debut, with struck out in 49.5% of his at-bats. Despite the, all the strikeouts in AAA and in the big leagues, as Jim Callis points out, he still had a lot of extra base hits, a lot of stolen bases. But I take it, judging by your blog post, that you are not optimistic about Brett Jackson and that if he became a successful Major Leaguer, he would be bucking some significant historical trends.
1: Yeah, I mean, for one, it was the second since 1947, you know, since the modern era, really, it was the second most highest strikeout rate by a position player in 100 or more at-bats all time. Dave Duncan, 1964, the catcher with the A's. And that's the worked. same Dave Duncan that we yes, we know that and love Dave now. But, the, but more than that, so the, the blog post, you know, when we went back and looked at us so let's, let's look at everyone who struck out in 40% or more of their at-bats in 100 or more at-bats. And we didn't say it's a rookie. We said at any point in their career. Right. And the thing that stood out is this: There's, it wasn't that you couldn't find some p- successful players in that group, because you could. Dave Kingman, we just talked about. Dave Kingman was one of those guys.
2: Should find have been a pitcher.
1: <laughs> you can find Dave Kingman. You can find guys. Kelly Shopik, uh has had a couple of years that show up for that. Russ Branyon. But the thing that stands out is is that almost without fail, the guys who had some success, despite the strikeout rate like that. Are all big power guys, or they're glove-first catch- they're catchers who really, if you say, okay, we're willing to live with that because he's a backup catcher, right? And that's what Kelly is. I mean, Kelly Shoppach has pretty much for his career been a very solid platoon catcher, and you say we're gonna spot pick him, pick spots to play him, things like that. If you look at yeah. if you look at Brett Jackson. Brett Jackson isn't a guy who's gonna hit forty home runs in a season. That's not what he does. He's got good he's got very good power for a center fielder. But it, it's really it's kind of a, a Drew Stubbs type you're, you're really your hope is is it's a Drew Stubbs type career.
2: That's what your hope is. But the
1: problem is, is that with that
2: with is with more that, with more power. But
1: I don't think he really I mean he doesn't have more raw power than Stubbs. He no, might,
2: but he but his power has been more in evidence at the upper levels than right, it was for Drew Stubbs. He's not and he's less not as good defense, defensively less defense.
1: he's not as good a runner. And the real concern for me, like, if you said, like, that, and so, but if you look at the list of guys who, who at one point were significant prospects who flamed out, there's a lot, there's a pretty good number of guys who were pretty, signif- you know, reasonably significant prospects who failed, and really when you look back on it, you say, well, why that guy fail? Well, he struck out too much.
2: Right. He did not make contact enough. And that's, to me,
1: like, it's not that Brett Jackson just struck out 50% of the time in the big leagues. He also struck out 38% of the time when he was in the PCL last year.
2: Yeah, and that was one of the harder ones where you were trying to find guys with 35% <laughs> strikeout rate or higher in the PCL and who'd had success. That and query I, wasn't giving you a I lot. Mean, of again, positive, our database lot of our good.
1: database for the minor league stuff is is shorter. I mean, major leagues we got all the major leagues. Minor league side, it goes back, to, you know, we got pretty much everyone from 2006 on. And then we've got further guys. If we had if you played in 2006, we got your minor league stats from before then. Anywhere in baseball. Okay. So it's a smaller group, but, yeah, the, the success rate of those guys, you're, it's a big difference when you, when you talk about a guy who was striking out even one in three times at the plate, and a guy who t- strikes out, you know, 35% of the
2: time. Yeah, two out of every five times. I mean, it's a big difference. That 30 to 40 is a big difference in the jump. And, yet, I still feel pretty good about the Cubs' top ten. Um, not great, but pretty good. Um Mainly because I like that their top three the top is three. so exciting. Javier Baez, Albert Almora, Jorge Soler. Just a very exciting trio of talent. And there are middle infielders in here, but with a pitching situation in this farm system is I, just hideous. I,
1: I'm putting the ball on a T tee for you here because I know the answer to this before I even put it there. But, John, what do you think the chances that Aroides Vizcaino, when we look back five years from now, you go, you know what, that guy's been a, a steady front end of the rotation starting pitcher oh,
2: that's not even where i thought you were going so i'm very glad you didn't go in the other direction but uh i think a Vizcaino is viscaino is a bullpen guy and i know the cubs are going to try to make him a starter and there is some argument you know john smoltz thought that starting was easier i just don't see how road Vizcaino's viscaino's track record where he had a stress fracture in his back or whatever it was and it, it was a short season ball for the yankees repeated elbow and shoulder injuries and now coming off tommy john i just don't see how this guy's going to hold up physically and I've always actually liked the Rodas Vizcaino as a guy. Stuff wise. Yeah, but I mean, like, the track record of the injury track record is just uh, pretty, it's Chris Snelling like. You know, I think he's done more than 100 innings once in his life in professional baseball. So I thought you were going to ask me a question about the Cubs' uh, farm director changes. And I will say at the ABCA, American Baseball Coach Association convention, the question I was asked the most was what do you think of the Cubs hiring Derek Johnson of Vanderbilt to be their new? Uh, you know, be their new pitching coordinator. And that is the talk of college baseball at that convention. It's the talk of his peers. And people really want to know uh, if this is going to start a trend. If pro, But but the college coaches I talked to saw this as an acknowledgement that, okay, pro baseball said, college guys, maybe you do know what you're doing. Not all of you, but some of you do know what you're doing. And for a program like the Cubs, for a franchise of like the Cubs – to turn to a college guy to help fix their pitching problems, uh, that spoke volumes to the college coaches and it was a it's a sign of uh, it kind of goes in with like what I've always said about Trevor Bauer that a lot of the revolutionary and uh, evolutionary and informed uh, things that are happening on the pitching side of baseball, the innovation that's going on with pitchers is going on on the amateur side. And that's who's innovating, not professional baseball. So and that's where that goes back and to. You know, and, and the th- Cubs are logical, desperate enough to try it. But you
1: know what? It. There's some logic th- to that, too, in that at the amateur side, you can try out more things. Uh, I, I guess. Uh, so I don't no, know. Sorry, do Here's my argument. Here's okay. the argument I'm going to make. Okay. On the amateur side, there is a much broader segment. I mean, you're talking about. Because on the amateur side, you're talking high school, you're talking college, you're talking showcases, you're talking pitching gurus, you're talking all that.
2: Right. So, but you're mostly talking the same kind of player. You're talking country club white kids, I, basically.
1: I, I, I'm, not, I'm not. I'm not talking player right now. Okay. I'm talking instructor. Okay. And what I'm saying is, is that the to, to, to best way I can explain it, some of these guys out there are thought of as pretty unconventional by a lot. Of, you know, Mike yes. Marshall is. You know, if you watch the Mike Marshall. You know, recommended delivery. It's unconventional you, to the extreme. It, hurt,
2: it hurts to watch.
1: Yes, it makes sense. You're going to see that in amateur. It makes sense that you're seeing that in amateur baseball because in amateur baseball you can try the. As I see it, the risk is less. Not that I'm saying there's more. Not less. In, there may be a little less incentive too. But the risk of okay, this didn't work. For a pitching guru? or
2: You're losing less money. Right. You have less investing. You have less investing. I buy that. Whereas at the, big, at the
1: professional level, if a professional team said, you know what, we're going all Marshall.
2: That would be crazy. Let's just
1: say this. If you did that and you failed, I mean, it didn't work even for a year, you're all getting fired. No doubt about that. So you go from the risk in professional baseball is, I have a job that there are thousands of people who want my job. It I and if for a year I'm out of it and I can't get another job like that. Whereas if you're an amateur, if you're a if you're a pitching a guy who studies pitching and all, the the job the bar is is that I need to find someone who's interested in doing what I want to spread. I, I
2: guess I follow and you then there.
1: if I fail, if people see this as a failure, I go back to doing what I was doing before, which is not involved in you know like the, the bar is so much lower to me. So it th- makes th- some sense to me that it there's makes innovation there.
2: that makes a little sense. That that explaining it that way makes a little bit more sense to me. I, but I then know. as
1: the ideas are proven, they kind of percolate up to a point where some team goes, who is in need right. of it, goes, you know what? There's some, there's some validity to this. We it basically had a chance to sort out some of the right. crappy ideas, and we're going to go with this the one.
2: The parallel I was going to make is, oh, that uh, spread option, that read option offense will never work in the NFL and it worked so well in college, and those quarterbacks were so good at it in college, they made themselves into first-round picks. And then an NFL team decided, well, this is why we've drafted him, so we're going to let him do it. Mm-hmm. You know, Which is, if baseball, someone would have taken RG3, Robert Griffin the third, out of Baylor, the Redskins quarterback, if you don't follow it at all. And they would have said, oh, no, we're going to make you a drop pocket passer. The NFL used to do that, mm-hmm. but they don't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. But that is the equivalent to Major League Baseball taking a guy – Say if they say if they'd taken Trevor Bauer and said no, we're going to give you a conventional delivery and a conventional throwing program. Oh wait, no, that's the Royals and Mike Montgomery. So <laughs> uh, off the soapbox. But that's that's that is what this is kind of akin to. So I think baseball is a little slow to the party in acknowledging that there's innovation at the amateur level. But I think that this will be a good trend well, I, you know uh, going I think, forward. You know what I
1: think was a big step for that? I, I think if you look back on it, there's a lot of people you can point to it all. But I think Tin Lips Tin Lipscomb. Was I don't disagree. Was to me in in many ways. If you look back, if you're writing a history of this, which he could we be love, the guy. We, both of us would love to. He do, could
2: be the guy though, who changed attitudes. Because the problem
1: with Lindsecum was is that he was not conventional. Right. He was small. I mean, you, know, you
2: see him. Yeah. Small. He still is small. He still is. Unconventional. He has a
1: delivery that is not like something that you were. I mean, that is no one will ever say with Tim Lindsecum. You know, that's a cookie cutter delivery. Right. Exactly. And he believed in it. And there were teams were like, ah, I can't believe it. Yeah, he might be a, a okay reliever. Right. And then he goes out, and yes, we may see that the peak was. He may pretty, be done. He may be done. But you know what? If he was done, the Giants got is still probably the best pick in that draft.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, you know, I'm and with that's you. and
1: that's the thing. Evan
2: Longoria is Longoria's the only guy standing in the way. Right. Win a, win a championship. Right. But know? the thing
1: about it is, is that if you considering where the Giants picked.
2: Oh yeah, tenth. Yeah, no doubt.
1: That to me, he's the best pick in that draft. And if you get a couple of Cy Youngs out of it. And team, and I think that led to teams going. You know what? We gotta, we gotta realize, we gotta realize that that being unconventional is okay.
2: I, you might be right about that, JJ. I hadn't thought about it that way, and that that's a that's a great take. I love I that mean, take.
1: Tim Lincecum was the guy who, pretty much a year before. I mean, he was sophomore eligible.
2: In forty first round, million dollars still was offered a million. Wanted a million dollars. Was offered, I think, eight hundred fifty, seven hundred fifty by the. You know, and that's, and so I,
1: I I really think, though, that he was the guy who paves the way that when a guy like Trevor Bauer comes out, who, bigger than Lincecum, but similar very unconventional similar. delivery.
2: And also similarly la- unphysical. Tall, but right. not physical. Not physical. So a guy where you say, boy, this crazy workouts that he does, he's going to wear it down under that. Maybe Lincecum th- did eventually, but when he held up under it, he was outrageous. And that's,
1: and again, also I think there's also some realization now, like, I think the Giants did a good job with that, and like he didn't spend a long time in the minors. Right. If you were gonna get, if you said, you know what, this might not work for five years, but we're gonna get four good ones out of it. We'll use the four good ones.
2: That's what they did. JJ, I'm gonna skip the Reds. We're gonna come back to the Reds. Milwaukee Brewers, top ten, not the most exciting top ten in the Baseball America handbook or in this or in this issue. Victor Roach in Georgia State still using hats that. It's like, it's like he got – Georgia Southern. Georgia Southern. What did I say? Georgia State? I'm Georgia sorry. Georgia State's Atlanta. Georgia I'm Southern State's Statesboro. Yes, I apologize to Georgia, Georgia Southern.
1: As the Georgia boy of the uh, office, I uh, But
2: uh, I, I'm aware. I just – And you know I like uh, no, you, Southern yeah, yeah, Georgia yeah, yeah. guys. I, I, I can't believe I just made that mistake. But Georgia Southern is like – Is that the hat that Joey Hamilton used to use? I mean, that logo has not changed. No, that's, Come on. Come on, Rodney Not uh, just Joey Rodney Hamilton, Hennon.
1: but uh, uh, power hitter uh, –
2: Oh yeah, the, the catcher. No, it was Steve, an outfielder turned the catcher. Was it yeah. Steve Hacker? Was it no. no? Todd
1: Green. Todd Green. That's it. Todd Green. Todd
2: Green. Outstanding. Saw
1: Todd Green play in uh, college. So.
2: But this is this is not a uh, it's not a it's not a bad it's not a horrible top ten, but it's not a good top ten. When your number one prospect had a four sixty six ERA in AAA the year before, but at the same time, JJ, I will say on our pitching tip, the Brewers were an organization that for a long time I used to lump in as one of the worst. Because outside of the Ben Sheets and Giovanni Gallardo, they didn't develop a pitcher for a decade. But now, as our Tom Hodder court astutely points out, they're looking toward 2013 with almost an all-homegrown rotation because Willie Peralta's got a shot at that rotation. Mm -hmm. And Taylor Youngman could come on down the line. And Tyler Thornburg's got a shot at this year's rotation. Mike Fears was in last year's rotation. Flamed out at the end, but... I will be again in 2013. Uh, I'll put it this way. There's I'm no leaving out some
1: There's no reason that you're not going to give Mike Fears a chance to prove that he's turned back into a Even team.
2: Mark Rogers has a shot at this 2013 rotation. I was presumptuous on young men. Uh, it, it is line.
1: fairness with Mark Rogers to say that. If we're gonna say with Arotis Vizcaino, what are the chances that he'll be healthy a healthy starting pitcher? Oh yeah, you the gotta say the same thing with Mark, Mark Rogers. Rogers. Yeah.
2: I would say that his track record injury injury track record is worse. I mean he also has there the carpal tunnel transit the There history, are there are high funny.
1: school pitchers there are high school pitchers drafted the same year as him who I think are getting ready for free agency and he's Yeah, ready. Phil
2: Hughes is to same draft class, two thousand four, if I'm not mistaken. Phil Hughes and Mark Rogers and Homer Bailey, the two, the three big high school right-handers in that draft, if, if memory serves.
1: The rest of them are arbitration eligible, at least. I'll put it that way.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it. Yeah, it's been a long time coming for Mark Rogers. He's got one of the longer uh, stat lines in the book. I,
1: I, I mean, I, I hope for his sake that he's not in the uh, 2014 prospect handbook. But if he is, it would start to put him in the the case of of the the most prospect handbook appearances. He'd have to
2: get hurt again and again because he's at 49 innings. So yeah. he just made it in by the skin of his teeth. He's, he's, yeah, I
1: think Adam Miller's record is still safe
2: into this year's, Yeah, I mean, high school picks in that 2004 draft. You had uh, Mark Rogers fifth overall, Homer Bailey seventh overall, and I mean other high school pitchers. Uh, you know, Scott Elbert who was a left hander. I mean, is Scott Elbert still around? I'm not sure what ever happened to him. And then Phil Hughes down there at 23. So Kyle Waldrop, 24, minor league free agent this off season. Uh, that's it. Uh, those are your high school pitchers in the first round. So if Mark Rogers eventually settles in, that'll end up being okay <laughs> nine <laughs> yeah, years later. one of the best
1: high school pitchers in the first round that year.
2: Nine years later. It's hard to believe. But I, I take it, JJ, you're not very, enth- you're not too enthusiastic about the Brewers' top ten.
1: No. Um, would it uh, look
2: better if John Segura were still there and yeah, still eligible? Uh, again,
1: I don't want to harp on this too much, but it would look better if Taylor Youngman and Jed Bradley were better in 2012.
2: Jed Bradley not even in the top ten. Taylor Youngman, think, Taylor Youngman, three. Jed Bradley, not even, uh, not even receiving votes.
1: You know, and, and that's, I think, really, if you get past, um, you know, you get past number two, and there's questions on everyone.
2: It's um, really tough to evaluate. Also, Willie Peralta, just on like, you know, the September or the rest of it. You know, right. I mean, there's careful. no one.
1: There's no one in that. Everyone in that, in that top ten, with Peralta, it's like, okay, we saw flashes, but man, what was the problem for a while there? With with Tyler Thurmberg, it's like, okay, is he going to be a starter? Right. With Taylor Youngman, it's like, okay, you know, I mean, he was pretty bad at times last year in the FSL in his debut. Right. Hunter Morris, is Hunter Morris going to be I a mean, regular, t- or is he going to be one of those guys who go, you know what, it's just not enough there to be a
2: – Taylor Youngman pitched like a twin. I mean, 99 strikeouts on 153 innings. <laughs> Durable, you know, but – not many I mean,
1: And you can keep going down the list. Hunter I mean, Morris. Jimmy Nelson is like okay, is Jimmy Nelson a reliever? Johnny you like Helwig, Jimmy,
2: you, I think you like Jimmy Norris more than mo, Jimmy Nelson more than most. I liked him out of college. I still like him. I, I'm not sure if I, I think he has quite the ceiling that you do, but he had a better year than any, right. of, the, any it, of these other pitchers.
1: Johnny Helwig is great ceiling, but at the same time, I mean, there's a it's consistency, it's command, all that. Victor Roach, can he come back from a pretty bad injury? Peter yeah. Jeanette, is he a role player? Is he right. be an everyday? Re- you, you can just keep going like this. I mean, that's.
2: Yeah, there's no perfect prospect in that organization. Uh, the The Pirates' top ten, JJ. On the other hand, is a the Pirates one is one of the better top tens in the whole book. But I mean, to me, it's a great top five, and then you really start raising some some question marks. And oh, and
1: drops off. I mean, it's there. There's a there's a top five, then there's a cliff.
2: There is a cliff, and
1: there's a plateau. Because Josh Bell is sitting there in a in a lower level where you go with if he chose knee- he's healthy. Yeah. But that's a big when we're talking the guy you know, Mark Rogers. Not the same, but you can lump a little bit of Josh Bell in there when you're having platelets, you know, transfusion to Plate- yeah. speed the healing in your knee. That and it's, it's not the same healed.
2: knee that you hurt when you were a high school junior, and and uh, you're not
1: ready, uh, you know. At this point in his recovery, Adrian Peterson was at 2,000 yards. <laughs> is the best way to put it, you know. And Josh Bell is not; it does not seem like he's ready yet to yeah. play. I mean, right now, if you said, "Is Josh Bell going to be ready for the start of the season?" The question is, I don't know if he's going to be, and that's that's a concern. After that, it, again, it and then he drops off to another group of, of guys who probably are more predominantly are more role player type guys than impact future impact big leaguers.
2: Yes, Justin but, Wilson has one of the odder big league debut lines ever: four innings, ten hits, but the one ninety, the one ninety-three ERA, and the opposing batting average of four fifty-five. Those two things don't square. But the top five in this top ten, Garrett Cole, I would say best stuff in the minors. Oh yeah, he has the best stuff in the minors. Mm-hmm. Um Still figuring out how to get all the outs when he needs him with that stuff.
1: The, the 2010
2: scouting report still applies. That's you know, right.
1: Sometimes he does not look as dominant he's better. as you
2: He's better than he used to be, but he's still evolving. Jamison Tyone, I think we're all pretty high on Jamison Tyone in here. Wouldn't say that we would have ahead of Bryce Harper and Manny Machado on our draft board, as the Pirates said that year, but, but he's, still, no, he's let's a, not hold that against Jamison Tyone. He's a very good. He's a really good pitching prospect. Luis Heredia, exciting. you would like to maybe see some more strikeouts, but, you know, he's 18. He's pretty interesting. He's the kind of guy that baseball America is all about. Right. You know? so Got some projection there. Right. Gregory Polanco and Alan Hanson. Uh, we I like love, these guys. Yeah, I, mean, I love
1: <laughs> uh, Gregory Polanco, I, I'm, you know, I, I'm. I,
2: <laughs> I'm going to have to give, bring a towel in to wipe <laughs> up the drool. I Just
1: Gregory Polanco, to me, if you are talking about a guy who, he's not underrated at this point because everyone knows about him, but he's what he has all the tools you are looking for in a young outfield prospect in that he has an idea of the strike zone he has power potential he has speed he runs like a gazelle, he can play center he has a great arm i mean it's all there it's just it is all it's there. all it's just development it's just can he keep improving as he moves up the ladder
2: and Alan Hansen might have. As much or more offensive upside, I think we just don't know where he's going to play defensively. Right. There's a little bit more unknown. And I do think Polanco Alan long-term
1: Hansen. is going to have more power. I've had guys who you know, saw both of them in the salary league say, I think Hanson down the road is a great top-of-the-order hitter. I think Polanco, you could bat two, three, four, five, or six.
2: Yeah, I like both those guys. So we like that top five. There is some depth in the Pirates organization, but it's the, still the, not great. And you're still, I think they're still paying for – the o nine draft An where none of those draft. guys worked out for them at all, and then in two thousand ten when they got Tyone, was that not, was it tw- which was the year where they drafted all the high school right handers in a row that was, was that two thousand and nine or was that two thousand ten
1: they drafted a lot in nine because but uh, and that that nine draft is the one that really there were a couple of years there i mean really if you if you want to the knock on the pirates in the draft is is that they've spent a whole lot of money on high school guys who 've done nothing and who at the time. Is some of them was like, well, why are they giving that guy that much money? Yes. And that was the concern is, is that you can argue you're spreading your risk over a larger group, but some of the guys that were spreading their risk over a lot, you know, they haven't gotten payoff from that. And some of the guys – 2009
2: th- is a draft that really hasn't turned out for them. The Tony Sanchez, Victor Black, Brooks Pounders, uh, Zach Von uh, Rosenberg, Colton Kane, Jeff Inman, all a lot of guys who got a lot of money. It was 2010, though, it was the Tyone draft where they basically took pretty much nothing but high school right-handers. Tyone, Stetson Alley, oh, disaster, thy name is Stetson Alley. Uh, Mel Rojas, position player, then right-handed pitchers from round 4 through round 10. A couple of those were college guys, but... Um, and then again, high school right-handers in rounds... or young, Right-handers in rounds 12 and 14. So just pitchers all the way through the first 15 rounds with three exceptions. So just not a... It was a very unusual approach of the draft, and not one that's worked out.
1: Moving on to a different a way gold to do a standard draft of of farm systems right now. Like I think I
2: think they are the gold standard of farm systems right now, and that's the St. Louis Cardinals. And honestly, I couldn't imagine that this when I first started Baseball America because they were always the bottom of our farm system rankings. And now, if they're not number one, they're number two or number three.
1: And I think they're. I mean, yeah, I
2: think they're going to be number one. I know they were. Not, they were my number one. They were my number one. And they were, they were Jim Callis' number one, is number one so they're going to be number one. <laughs> Um, but JJ, the only like discordant note in this whole top 10 is, do you believe in Matt Adams is an everyday regular or not? And then Tyrell Jenkins really didn't take a real step forward last year, but the rest of those guys you know are pretty hard to knock.
1: And the thing about it is, is when you're talking about that, we're saying like Tyrell Jenkins didn't take a step forward. He's the number eight prospect. Right. On this list. right. I'm fine with having him. That's a really good number eight. Cause you say, you know what? If he puts it together, yeah, he, he clicks, could be really interesting. He's an athletic but pitcher if he with a big arm. But if he doesn't, it's
2: okay. He's
1: our number eight prospect.
2: I mean, Trevor Rosenthal's four. I mean, uh, I don't think he's just a reliever, although I guess I do wonder if that's the role that he winds up in. Right, that's but why he could he, do more than that. He certainly could do more than that. I think I want, But if he's a reliever, he's an impact closer. Michael Walker at six. That's, I, I'll,
1: okay, I'll put it this way. We were just talking about the Brewers. Would you rather have Michael Walker or Taylor Youngman?
2: I'd rather have Michael Walker than Willie Peralta. Yeah, okay, that puts. So, it, yeah, yeah, I would have put Michael Walker one on that dra- on that top ten. There's so, no doubt. I don't know if I would take Colton Wong over Willie Peralta. say, I
1: might put Michael Walker on my personal Ricardos top would be number five ahead of. By but, him. I, might,
2: but I, think, I think I could argue any of those top six players number one on the. And by the way, Oscar list.
1: Severus, is there uh, the best way I can put it? Is this is there a safer prospect? We, I know we love to talk about Christian Yelich being a safe prospect. I think Oscar, at this point Oscar Tavares is the safest prospect in the minors as far as if you ask me if he's going to hit I barring injury I, I I would be shocked if he doesn't hit. You're
2: probably right. You're probably right. I mean like I just I it's hard to envision anybody talking to any scouts about him and then watching the video and then seeing reading the at, reports seeing him
1: at the futures game and it's like he put on a BP where you're like Oh, wow, look at that power to go with. You know he's got bat-to-ball skills. You know all that. Oh, no, yeah, by the way, I've got massive power in here too.
2: And, oh, by the way, all his teams win. (laughs) I I love that about Oscar Tavares. They win, and he's the best player on those teams. They win in large part because Oscar Tavares is such a dominant offensive player. But I like that his teams win with him.
1: also impressed with this. Because you you trust like the Cardinals are a good organization at this point, obviously. I mean, yes. there's no doubt about that. Over there was points. questions. There were questions with him after his 2011 season. Right. Focus. Defense, focus. Defense. Exactly.
2: Cardinals, Commitment.
1: All that. The Cardinals sent him to Double A to start the year, and they did that because they had seen an improvement in those things that they had talked to him about it. But to me, the fact that the Cardinals were willing to send him to double A, where he not just, he didn't just get to double A and go, okay, I'm okay here, where he was basically one of the best players in the league, that stands out to me because that just is a sign they knew what they had there, that this guy, no, yeah, he had some, he was young. He's figuring that out, but they didn't worry. If they had sent him to high A, you know, because we've got to drill into him that he's got to pay more attention, they... He showed in 2012, those, co- those concerns to me are, are largely put aside. I agree. Because he put those to rest. He jumped to another level. He started playing center field, a tougher position as far as, you know, what they asked for you defensively. Yeah. And he did everything they asked.
2: And he destroyed the baseball. And he destroyed <laughs> just the just baseball. A, he's the best hitter in the minor leagues. Not the best position player prospect. I'd still take Profar. I, think pro far, I agree, too. He's, he's the best hitter. But but he's the best hitter in the minor leagues. So Cardinals, Farms, I mean, Shelby Miller, best number two in the book. I mean,
1: if he's not, it's going to be really close. I think um, I had
2: him in my top ten on my personal prospect list, and I mean, I don't think I had two from any other organization, not that I can think of. He probably is the best number two in the. I Shelby Miller figured things out pretty well by the end of last year, so pretty pretty much an embarrassment of riches for the Cardinals. Last but not least, J.J. the Cincinnati Reds, your organization, as far as one of the two that you write up in the handbook and in the top ten organization of the year. It's a little bit of a lower period in Reds' talent than it's been in the last couple oh, of yeah. years, but it's for a good reason. They graduated talent to the big leagues. They uh, traded talent for big leaguers. And yet, I still like their top four prospects. As I think mean, their top four is in a league with any organization's top four. It's maybe not as good as, but, but it's, it's, I don't think any top, organization... Those
1: are four top 100 guys. And that's it.
2: No organization what? will be embarrassed by this being their top and four prospects. And when you say top
1: 100 guys... Those guys, I mean, I, those
2: are like top seventy-five guys for me. Right. Top, I don't top think any of them are just
1: scraping scraping in either.
2: And Billy Hamilton obviously had as good a year as anybody in the minor leagues had. He also did a lot for his prospect status last year, not just stealing the bases, but going to the fall league and being a center fielder, I, showing a little bit more but, thump, continuing his offensive performance, posting four hundred on base percentage yep. in double A. Absolutely. The key part
1: of that to me is is putting those numbers up in Bakersfield gets you throw in the well, it's the Cow right. League.
2: But the walk strikeout ratio he had in Double A controlled the strike zone. All he has to do is show enough juice to be respected. All he's got to do is be a little have a little more power than Juan Pierre. That's basically all we're talking about. This guy's going to be a better version of Juan Pierre. Guess what? Juan Pierre wound up having a pretty doggone good career. Better version of Juan Pierre is Kenny Lofton. But, Coming, but right the big, and the big that's difference is who he's being, that's who the he's headed to be
1: being is is that like is that long term. You know, right now he's still got things to work on in center field. The key thing is is that a lot of these guys you're talking about left fielders. Right. I, I don't talk to a lot of people who've seen Billy Hamilton who don't think that he's going to be a very good center fielder. Better
2: long term career, Kenny Lofton or Billy Hamilton? Will he have a better career than, than <laughs> Kenny Lofton? Which means, is he going to be? He doesn't. Well, I'm not even putting him to that Hall of Fame standard.
1: I'll say Kenny Lofton because I, the, the, really, I, yeah. And here's why I'll say this: I'm, I'm a I'm a conservative gambler by my. You're giving me money in the bank. You're giving me a guy who we both agree should be on a Hall of Fame ballot for multiple years. You're telling me that for a guy that was a
2: 372 on base, I think, in a 423 career. If study? you
1: tell me that, if you tell me that, and you offer me that, or you offer me a guy who's yet to play in the big leagues, short of Mike Trout, Bryce Harper.
2: Yeah, but he work for us. So. No, I know, but
1: <laughs> and I'm sorry if it's you know I'm being a killjoy, but yeah, I'm going to take that guy, but. If you say, could Billy Hamilton be better than that? Sure, I think he could. The thing that Billy Hamilton can do better than anyone we've seen at least in the last 20 years is steal bases. And I don't, I mean, I i have no concern about saying that. Right. I'm not saying that there has not been a guy out there who runs a faster 60 than him. But I am saying when it comes to stealing bases, and to me the thing that stands out with him beyond everything else is, is that And, look, he'll get, you know, hurt next year, watch, or something. I'm jinxing him. (laughs) Right. He doesn't get hurt. He doesn't get hurt. Base runners who steal 100 bases usually are thoroughbreds who basically, like, you step on a hole wrong and they're going to miss three weeks with a tight hammy. He doesn't miss games.
2: He doesn't miss games. I mean, 299, 372, 423. Kenny Lofton, that's his career line. I think that's I think that's a reasonable thing to expect out of Billy Hamilton. That's, that's the 4.23, the power would be. Yeah, like, I
1: was going to say, that 4.23 might be a little bit more because I think Kenny Lofton was a little more physical. You know, in, in, Billy in Hamilton has the skinniest ankles that you'll see.
2: In 94, Kenny Lofton had a 5.36 slugging percentage in the strike season. And then I think Billy after Hamilton that. Billy Hamilton will never have it. Right. After that, he never slugged more than, I think, 4.58. I just was just looking at it. And he had one other year. Very late in his career was 4.50. I don't think Billy Hamilton will have very many years where he approaches a 450 slugging, so he might just be on the shy side of a Kenny Lofton type career. But the thing
1: he could have better is is that again a little bit more steals and maybe even better defense.
2: I think he might even hit for a similar or higher average than 299 because he adds a platoon advantage, and I think that'll help him. And and
1: the thing with Billy Hamilton because. The best way I can describe this is that I, I, I heard this back when he was struggling in the Midwest League. I had someone say to me, it's like, I'm not putting any limits on this guy because his athleticism right. is so impressive that when you see him and you see him a month later, he's light years beyond where he was a month ago. And that is held true for the last three years. And the Reds Every don't year have, he's better that's than right. he was.
2: The Reds don't have this reputation like a Cardinals organization doesn't, or when they had George Kissel, the late George Kissel, and uh, like some of these other, or like we've talked about like with the uh, Giants and their pitcher development, or some other organizations, the Rangers, the way Rangers guys get better. But the Reds deserve a lot of credit because Billy Hamilton has been handled well, he's been handled smartly, he's gotten better every year. Oh. Hamilton deserves that credit, but let's give their instructions. And let's give also credit, credit
1: like just as we've wrote in our order year story with them,
2: they haven't had a first round pick flame out
1: in a long time.
2: Yeah, it's kind of funny that the, the old success that you used to see with the Blue Jays is now kind of transferred over to the Reds as far as uh, all their first-round picks click. Uh, JJ, we had a little debate, you and I, and then we'll wrap this up. Dan Langfield versus Dick Travieso. Uh, I like those, b- both those guys, but I think all those guys from 5 to 10, all their B.A. grades are pretty much the from same. From 5 to 20 yeah. in the
1: Reds list. You, I mean, if you wanted to argue, I wouldn't argue number 20 over number 5. Right. But there's not a it, – it's – really not a whole lot of separation. And, and that's, like, I had someone point out to me today, said, you know, if you read the scouting report for Guillaume and Singrani, they don't seem a whole lot different. Singrani's better. Right. There is some truth to that, though. They're both fastball change-up guys who you're really looking about the breaking ball. Right. Vilo's,
2: Singrani hasn't had to be uh, <laughs> snuck through the Rule of 5 because of an injury. Velo, right.
1: you know, wise, it's pretty similar, all that. You know, I, I think Dan Langfield, a year from now, if you said – who are the two guys in this top ten in the five to ten range who a year from now we could be saying, yeah, that guy's a top hundred guy. You know, really, Langfield's one of those guys who could. Langfield, a year from now, could have had the same, the Sangrani year from last year. Right. Really what we need to see from him right now, scouting reports predominantly going into the draft were deliveries such that you're not really confident he's going to be a starter. Right. Smoothed it out a little bit. we got to see, okay, show me that over a full season. Show me in start 25 of the season that you're still, you know, repeating things like that. And then the other guy, Jonathan Renoso at nine, who yep. it's because the tools are special tools.
2: He's the uh I mean he basically he's the lottery ticket in the that, 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 that was the
1: chat. That was the chat today is like, you know, you know, see a lottery ticket. Yep, he's the he's the Powerball lottery ticket. Andrew Brackman in the chat explained what Andrew Brackman is now the three dollar scratcher that you get, you know, <laughs> down, down at the gas
2: station. <laughs> Oh, Andrew Brackman. How did that come up? Because Andrew Brackman's in the Red Sox. System. I know, but I mean, someone like, asked but this me, is said, a prospect is, is chat. Said, no, he
1: said, in the, someone said, does Andrew Brackman have a chance? And I said, we'd already talked about like, that, yes. Actually, I said Amir Garrett is a uh, Powerball, you know, big Powerball jackpot lottery ticket. And then
2: I watched a little bit of the Cincinnati St. John's basketball game last week just to watch Amir Garrett play basketball. He did not look so I, bad.
1: I, yeah, but.
2: He's a, probably a better prospect than baseball. He's averaging
1: seven and a half points, five and a half rebounds a game. That's good.
2: I will say that we all used to think the same thing about Russell Wilson. But Amir Garrett is probably not Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson is pretty much the only the, Russell the Wilson. The thing
1: that's working for, for baseball for Amir Garrett is, is that six-foot-six lefties who throw 95. Yeah, very small group. Yes. Six foot six wings who can play defense, shoot a little bit, rebound. But don't shoot
2: threes. Yeah.
1: That's uh that's a very large not a lot subset of the NBA draft uh, prospect uh, that's potential right. group.
2: You wanna go I I, I would think I'd actually rather take my chance riding buses in the minor leagues than flying around Eurobasket if I was playing for say Sesca Mosco. I know they get paid more at Sesca Moscow but it's well, a shady travel but, over there.
1: But the great thing for the great thing for Amir Garrett is, is that you keep playing this basketball a little while longer because at some point you figure that the Reds may come to you and say, you know what, let's give you a little bit
2: extra exactly. to uh,
1: to give up that you know that basketball for good. I mean,
2: absolutely. You, Part you, of me wishes you,
1: you get you get more. I, I hate to say this to be crass, but you get more money if you end up deciding to give up base basketball before you're done with it, or right. at the draft time instead of waiting until you have you know eliminated that option.
2: The fact that he hadn't played much high school baseball at all worked against him in all these cases, but um, I'm I'm looking forward to Amir Garrett being a full-time baseball player. JJ, that was a lengthy podcast. I hope everybody enjoyed it. I hope we didn't bore you with the Hall of Fame uh, stuff. I don't think so. It seemed like it had to be done. I know it's not our usual uh, uh, field of expertise, but we are a baseball podcast, and that was definitely the news in baseball today, so... We'll be back next week, and I apologize, by the way, that uh, between Aaron Fitt and myself, we did not wind up doing a college podcast from the ABCA convention. So we're uh, working on the college preview issue right now. So uh apologize again for that, for not doing it, for promising that podcast and not delivering. Um, oh, my goodness. Jonathan Singleton suspended for 50 games for marijuana use is the tweet. That's not good news for the Houston Astros or for Jonathan Singleton. So... That would, have been, uh, that would have been a National League Central top 10 uh, a year ago, um, no longer. I still think Jonathan Singleton's an elite uh, prospect, but that certainly doesn't, uh, doesn't help his case for, for making the, the Astros in 2013. For J.J. Cooper, I'm John Manuel. We'll talk Jonathan Singleton and more, I'm sure, on the next Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody.